Our preaching passage for this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But to provide context, I'm going to begin at the beginning of the chapter. This is God's word for us this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is God's word. Amen. Let's take our seats. We're looking then at this uh, series called Songs of the Season. So let me just recap for you so you know where you are. So we did, first of all, Isaiah's song. And uh, I'm glad that my uh, main ambition as a preacher is to train the church to say that word properly, and we seem to be making some progress there. Um, so I, I, and Isaiah's song was all about hope. And uh, the way that you have hope, the way you really find hope, that is Solid and lasting future hope, a certain and sure hope, is to trust in God. And that's what Isaiah was saying. Trust in God, not in other things. Just put your trust in God and his word, and you'll find hope for you, your family, for your life, for your work. Trust in God. That was Isaiah's song. Then we looked at Mary's song. Mary's song is all about joy. Where do I find joy this Christmas? Where do I find joy in my life? And Mary, as she worships uh, God for all that God is doing in her life, shows us why we should worship what the reason is for worship, and the message there was about how joy comes from worshiping God. Not, not only in song that we're worshiping just now, wonderful, sweet, joyful experience of worshiping God. And the worship isn't just in songs, also in the preaching and the praying. And it's not just when we gather, it's also when we live and how we live and how we serve our families and how we work. This is all worship. And as we worship God, or should all be worshiped, as we worship God, uh, then we experienced joy, and that was Mary's song. And then Zachariah's song that we looked at last week was all about freedom. So Zachariah's song, all about freedom. And uh, the freedom, as defined by the Bible, is, is a real freedom. And that is not the freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it, but the freedom that is being the person you were designed to be. And we use the illustration of, of a fish in water being free, not out of water. Fish, fish out of water is dying. An astronaut out of the spacesuit is dying. It's, it's in our maker's design. And what we're designed to be is set free from captivity, 
like the Exodus story, so that we might serve God without fear. That is what God has designed for us, and that is freedom. And we looked at that last week. Well, this morning we're looking at the angel's song. And the angel's song is all about good news. It's all about good news. The angels are messengers of God. They have a message. They're there to proclaim a particular message. And the message they're proclaiming in our passage is a message of good news. How we need good news today. I mean, there's so much bad news. How we need good news I was uh, uh, just uh, this week at a prayer breakfast and I was um, praying in public there and reading scripture and before I did that I got to meet the MC for this prayer breakfast who's a, a news anchor in, in, in the area and um, I asked him before we got up onto the platform I said to him so tell me what can I pray for you and he said to me you know pray that I'll be able to bring a note of positivity <laughs> yeah I bet like with all the news out there, that's, that's important, right? To bring a note of positivity, we need that. We need good news. But at the same time, because we know we need good news, there are all sorts of other messages of good news that are not this message of good news. So the phrase good news is the same as the, as the word gospel. Both are translations of a Greek word, which is evangelion, the gospel or the good news. And there are other gospels. There are other messages of good news. There is fake good news. You've heard of fake news, right? There is fake good news. And then there's real good news. And we have lots of gospels out there. Uh, we have the gospel of health. See, the, the way a, gospel, a fake gospel works is this. You, you, have, you have a price to pay so that you might get a reward. There's a problem. There's a price to solve the problem, and there's a reward. There's a gospel of health. The problem is that it's Christmas. You know you're going to eat too much. <laughs> That's the problem. The price you've got to pay is come January, you've got to get to the gym every day. And the reward, well, let me show you a picture of this, you know, you too could look like this, maybe, 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 you know. Being healthy is important, but there's a gospel of health, like that's the message of salvation, that's what you need. There's also a gospel of wealth, the problem is uh, that you don't have enough money, Uh, the solution is you've got to work morning, noon and night in order to get it. You know, the, the house in Florida or the BMW or the Audi or whatever else it is you want. And, and, and when you get there, then, then you'll have freedom. Then you'll really know what life's all about. It's a problem, price, solution. That's the shape of a, of a gospel. And there are other gospels today. There are other gospels then. So when Luke in this passage is describing this good news the angel's bringing, he's describing it in contrast to a predominant gospel at the time. And that predominant gospel at the time was the gospel, a gospel of Rome, the gospel of Augustus Caesar. So we actually know the proconsul of Asia formulated a proclamation about the birth of Augustus Caesar. We know it because there's a, an inscription from Turkey, Prien in Turkey, that's the region where we discovered it, that describes the birth of Augustus Caesar in eerily similar language. The birth of Augustus Caesar, when he was born, the Savior was born, it says. 
the Savior. And it says we're proclaiming the good news to the whole earth. So the the problem there, the way it works is the problem is chaos in the ancient world. The solution is the birth of Augustus Caesar. The price you've got to pay is submission to Rome. And the reward, peace. Or as it's called, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And what Luke is doing here is saying, no, that's not the gospel. That's not the good news. This is the good news. And we today also have all these other fake good news, fake gospels, fake evangelions, using the Greek word, fake gospels, health, wealth. One of the most common gospels today, fake good news, is the gospel that our predominant problem is, a, is oppression. We've been oppressed because this happened to us or this happened to this group or other, our predominant problem is oppression and the price we've got to pray is some kind of social revolution or social upheaval, one kind or another, and the reward is, 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 is we will now be in power. It's a predominant gospel today, but it's not this gospel. It's not this gospel. And what Luke is doing is he's persuading us of the truth of this gospel. This really is the gospel. This really is the good news for us. And he does it in three ways. If you're taking notes, here they are. First of all, the sign of the good news. That's the first way he does it, the sign of the good news. And this is really verse 12, and it's in the context uh, right up uh, until uh, um, you know, they actually start singing in verse 14. But this is in verse 12, the first element that he's persuading us of the real good news, the sign of the good news in verse 12. And he, he's, uh, the angels say this, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's the sign. Now, have, you ever, have you ever read that and thought, well, what, what's, why is that a sign? Why does that, why does that persuade anyone that it's true? I mean, it's unusual for sure, but it's not a miracle. I mean, it's, it's unusual that, that a baby would be born, you know, probably it was a, um, a shepherd's cave, probably. No room for them in the inn, probably born in a shepherd's cave, that's what we think, and, and born where the, where the sheep or the animals would have been, uh, in, a, in a manger that is a feeding trough for animals wrapped in cloths to keep the baby warm. A, a, an unusual thing. But why is that a sign that this is the good news of the whole world? What, what makes that a sign? It's not a miracle. It's unusual. Why should, I, why should I believe, why should the shepherds, why should we shepherds believe this good news is the real good news, not the fake good news, based upon this sign that is for us? Imagine how he could have been born. Imagine the palace and the power. Imagine the wealth and the prestige. Imagine how he could have been born. Imagine how Augustus Caesar was born. And it's a sign of humility. Here he is, the ruler of the whole universe who's come for you. And he's humble. And he's kind. 
filled with mercy. He's not out to dominate you or control you or repress you. It's humility. And what it does is it gets underneath our barriers. It gets underneath our radar. It opens up the hard places of our hearts. To be ready to believe that this could be the real good news. The humility of the sign. Look at it like this. In um, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, there's a moment, I I guess most of us have seen uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings by now, and there's a moment in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings uh, where they all gather. So there's a a moment when they gather in Elrond's house, and, uh, and the nations gather, at least their representatives gather, and they've got a major problem. The problem is the ring of power, you know, one ring to rule over them. Remember that? They've got the ring of power, and they're, they're all gathering. They've got this huge problem. What are they going to do with the ring? And they come up with, you know, each representative of these different nations uh, comes up with different ideas, what they're going to do, and they start to fight. They start to argue, and they start to try and claim the prestigious position to be the man, to be the guy, to be the person in power. And they're fighting and arguing over, over who is going to be really in control. And then... There's a, there's a, I was going to say there's a, there's a voice, but there's a, <laughs> then there is, Frodo steps up, and then he says, quietly, I'll take the ring, I'll take the ring to Mordor, though I don't know the way. And right then, everyone knows he's the guy. He's the one. It's a message of humility. It's a sign of humility. You come in this morning, you're wondering like, okay, here I am in this big church with all its you know, authority and power, with with. This guy with like, you know, three degrees from Cambridge and, you know, was a fellow at Yale University and he speaks with this funny accent, you know, and and I've got all this, all this sort of prestige and power and here is the sign. Here's the sign for you. It's a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. It's humility. It's not, it's not fake good news. It's the real thing. So the first way to believe that this is the real good news is the sign of the good news. But then we have the God of the good news. And this is in verse 14. We're going to camp out in verse 14, which is what the angels sing. And verse 14 is, a, is what's called a couplet. It's in two parts. And the, the first part is the God of the good news. So it's the angels sing, glory to God in the highest. And then, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So it's a couplet. First part, glory to God in the highest. Second part, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We'll look at that in a moment. And what you've got here is the very heart of the gospel. And you remember, you know that hearts have two chambers. 
Right? There's a, two chambers to our hearts. And the first chamber, that, that this heart of the, of the gospel, the heart of the real good news is glory to God in the highest. So right at the heart of the real good news is the centrality of God and the exaltation of God's glory. Here's how you can know whether the gospel is actually being preached. Is God being lifted up? Is God being glorified? The gospel of God is fundamentally and foundationally designed to glorify and honor God. It's not really about you. It's really about him. Here, let me, let me tell you this. Let me in, let you into a secret. I'm a preacher of the gospel, right? It's what I'm called and designed to do. My task is not to please you. I mean, so I'm not going to deliberately annoy you. But my task is not to please you. My task is to glorify God and to please him. And that's good news for you. You know why? Because it means I'm going to tell you what he says. Your task foundationally or fundamentally, is not to please the people you work with. Your task, foundationally, fundamentally, is not to please your, your family and do whatever they want. Your, your task, foundationally or fundamentally, is, is, not, is not to please me. Your task, foundationally and fundamentally, at the heart of the gospel of God, is to please and glorify him. And that's good news. Because it frees you from slavery and the, the peer group pressure and the fear of man and doing just whatever people want. You've you, you, you got to love people, but your desire is, you, your aim is to please God. And then you're, you, it's good news, it sets you free. That's right at the heart of the gospel of God is that it glorifies God. It shows that actually he is a God of justice and of love. It shows that actually he is going to solve the sufferings and evil problems of the world. It shows that actually he is a God of mercy and kindness and humility. It glorifies God. And whenever the gospel is preached, God must be glorified. First of all, it's the first thing the angels say. Glory to God in the highest. Let me tell you this. That's where the power is. You know, I spent a number of uh, years living in a, um, a couple of countries in the former Soviet Union. One was called Georgia. The other was called Azerbaijan. And when I was living in those countries, they were fairly disturbed. It was, it was after a civil war, and there was a lot of disturbance there. And each, each of those two countries, Tbilisi, which is the capital of Georgia, and Baku, which is the capital of Azerbaijan, they had different strengths and weaknesses sort of geopolitically. And Tbilisi, there was always water because they had a lot of water. But electricity was a bit hit and miss, whereas in Baku and Azerbaijan, there was always electricity because they had a lot of oil they still do but water was hit and miss I remember when we were living in Tbilisi you know I come 
obviously from a country whereby normally you just go up to the light switch and you flick it and the lights come on, right? That's just what you expect. And there I am, you know, in Tbilisi. I'm working away, got a computer out. I'm, I'm figuring out what to do. It's late at night. The lights are on. And then the electricity goes. And there's no power. Right at the heart, the beating heart of the gospel, the first chamber of the gospel, is the glory of God. And the power is there because now you are set free from just doing whatever else it is that people want you to do. You're now now set free to do what it is that God wants you to do. You're now set free to stand up for what's right and for what's true. You're not going to deliberately annoy people. But your task is to glorify God. That's such good news. Now you have someone to live for. Now you have something to live for. The God of the good news. So we have the sign of the good news, the God of the good news. And then uh, the the last uh, point here in the sermon, the third point, if you're taking notes. um, The people who receive the good news. And it's the second part of this beating heart of the gospel. First, God, glory to God, the God of the good news. And then the second part of the, the beating heart of the gospel, the third part of the sermon, the people who receive the good news. Now get, get how the angels put it. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now a lot of people down through years have wondered about this. They've been like, well, the, the angel says there's peace on earth. This was announced over 2,000 years ago, but I don't see much peace on earth. Where is this peace on earth that was declared about? And I remember some years ago, it was even U2. I, I listened to U2 and, and Coldplay, and I'm still a Christian, you know, so it's okay. And, but U2 had this song about peace on earth, and what they were seeing was peace on earth. Where is this peace on earth? I don't see it. And I... Do we see peace on earth? What we see is refugees, chaos, war, bloodshed. I mean, this is like a typical day on planet earth, isn't it? So where is this peace on earth? Well, you've got to read the whole verse, right? And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, there is, if you've got a modern Bible, you'll see there's a footnote here, verse 4. Some manuscripts, peace comma, goodwill among men. And even the song we're singing up earlier, that's the kind of traditional um, translation. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, footnote, or peace, goodwill among men. I don't want to get into the technicality of it, but the translations we have in our modern Bibles are almost certainly correct. And it goes back to the, the original behind this, the Greek behind this is a little, um, what would be the technical word? A little um, funky and, 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 and so this, most modern scholars think that's because it itself is a translation of a Hebrew or Aramaic phrase that the angels spoke to the shepherds who, of course, would have known Hebrew or Aramaic. And therefore, the right translation is, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, or some translations put it, basic same idea, some translations put it, um, uh, on whom his favor rests. Either way, what, it's, what the angels are saying is, yeah, peace on earth, but not for everyone. On, among those with whom he is pleased, for those on whom his favor rests. 
In other words, right at the heart of Christmas, again, this is the angel's message of good news. If anything is the heart of Christmas, then surely this is. Right at the heart of Christmas, first chamber of the beating heart, glory to God. Second chamber, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Right at the heart of Christmas, there's a universal offer of the gospel. Peace on earth, a universal offer of the gospel. But only those with whom he is pleased, will have that peace. In other words, the reason why there isn't peace on earth is because not everyone is submitted to the King of kings and Lord of all lords. Amen? Chris Wright puts it like this. When God reigns, there is peace. It is good for us, and we are saved. You've got to submit yourself to the King of kings and Lord of all lords. Nowhere in the Bible and nowhere, even at Christmas, is there a universal proclamation of universal salvation irrespective of what someone believes or does. It is peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased, among those on whom his favor rests. You need to receive the gospel. What is more, I mean, you know, you probably don't want to send a Christmas card to your friend saying, Merry Calvinistic Christmas, but what is more? And it's not just Calvin, Martin Luther too. You know, what, Luther wrote a book called The Bondage of the Will, very famous book. And Jonathan Edwards wrote another book called The Freedom of the Will. One of the ironies of church history is that Martin Luther's book called The Bondage of the Will and Jonathan Edwards' book called The Freedom of the Will both basically argue the same thing. You know, you can take that up with them in heaven when you meet them, but you know. Which is peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased, among, on those of whom his favor rests. And it's a wondrous thing. This should leave us with wonder and awe. You know, I think we've forgotten what what it's like to be in a place of wonder. See, the sign persuades us that it's true. This is a sign of humility. And the, 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 the God of the good news shows us the power of the gospel. But this is the wonder of the good news. It's just wondrous. The only time I think we wonder anymore is with, with our tech. You know, you get out a phone and, well, not so much now, but when, when the iPhone first came out, you remember Steve uh, Jobs would get up in front on the stage in his black tur- turtleneck and bring out the latest gadget and everyone would be like, oh, the jaws would drop. Like, oh, oh. It's a new shiny gadget. Wonder. And this is meant to make us wonder how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. When God imparts to human hearts the salvation of heaven. And that can be you. It can be you. It can be you. You can have this 
The gospel, the problem, our human sin, our rebellion against God, the price, the price that must be paid, the price that must be paid is paid by Christ himself. You can have that peace. That's wondrous. It's just amazing. I say, how do I have it? Three simple ways. First of all, find peace. That is, come to Jesus and just say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me my sins. Will you... Will you Will you reconcile me to you? Will you forgive me? Lord, will you give me your peace, peace with you? Find peace. Second, preach peace. Don't preach these fake good news. Don't preach these fake gospels. Don't preach capitalism. Don't preach communism. Don't preach neo-Marxism. Don't preach capitalism nor communism. Preach the real good news. Find good news, preach good news. Find peace, preach peace. And then live peace. Now, I've, I've closed with this illustration um, already twice this morning. And each time, I'm not sure I got it quite right. So maybe third time's a charm, so we'll see. Um, John Milton, great uh, poet, author, brilliant uh, of the human language. John Milton, when he was uh, at the prime of his life, 44, suddenly discovered that he was going blind. Can you imagine what that would be like for a person like John Milton, who's just you know, a genius, getting more and more famous, the ability that he has to do things, just growing and growing and growing. At the prime of his life, 44, he realizes he's going blind. Here's someone who wants to serve God, who wants to be busy in God's kingdom, who wants to do things for God, and now he's going blind. And what's going to happen? What can he do? And he writes on his blindness. And basically what he says in this beautiful set of words about, as he's realizing about his blindness, on his blindness, he describes how God Almighty sends people to do things all over the world they're rushing and speeding to do his bidding over ocean and sea and then he says reflecting on his blindness very famously he says but they also serve who only stand and wait you know we we live in a busy culture And Christmas of all seasons is busy. But the message of Christmas is peace. And that's more than sitting in a quiet room and relaxing. It's peace with God and therefore peace in relationships with others. But right at the heart of that, and it's the most extreme moment for John Milton recognizing that he's going blind. Maybe for an extreme moment with you, having had some opportunity taken away from you. Right at the heart of that is the realization that God knows what he's doing, that God is glorified in the highest, and there is peace for us as we submit to him, even, even if it means just standing and waiting. For he is the God of all glory, and he is to be praised, and it is before his name that every knee will bow.
and all that is good news. Oh, our Lord God, we do pray uh, this Christmas that you would help us as a church to believe the good news and also to preach the good news. We pray, Lord, that we would be captivated by false gospels, and there's so many around these days, Lord, and they're so attractive. And yet, Lord, they all demand a price. Every idol demands a price of blood and sweat of one kind or another. And yet here it is, Lord God, you yourself are paying the price that we might be saved and set free and might have peace. Oh, Lord, we want that. We pray, Lord, that we would find peace with you. I pray, Lord, that this morning those who do not yet have peace with you would find that peace. Would you in your graciousness favor them, I pray, that they might respond to you in faith and trust and repentance. I pray, Lord, that we would preach peace. Lord, would you put messages of peace and reconciliation and, and the gospel on our lips? And would you help us to live peace, Lord? To be still and know that you are God. To leave in your hands the things that we cannot solve or change. To be secure in the position that you have called us to be in. Even if it only means standing and waiting. For you are our God. And like the angels, we join in saying, glory, glory to you in the highest. In the name of Jesus, amen.